Open your Bibles to Psalm 119. We are glorifying God by loving His Word. And the text that I have this morning, and we're trying to take these in our eight-verse chunks, and uh, the text that we have today is a familiar text to Grace Baptist. We've gone over this text several times over the years, but I've tried to take it as a whole this time, and it's, it's been so fun to do that. God's grace is, is amazing to us. One of the things that, so today I have four lessons. I have Sunday school, morning service, we have our discipler meeting at four o'clock, and then the evening service. So I had four lessons to prepare for this morning. And with preaching all week and the schedule getting home Friday night, it, it was going to be, you know, a lot of work. And it was fun that God gave me one of the easiest passages in the world to preach this morning. If a preacher can't preach this text, he just needs to get a new job. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this text. So let's look at it. Psalm 119 and look at verse 65. And you'll see what I mean just from this first verse. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant according to thy, according unto thy word. Can you all just say amen to that? Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Is that a great statement? I didn't know what that meant until I studied it, but it didn't sound good. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Lord, we love you. Please help me as I try to communicate the truth that's in this text. And of course, I can never do all of that in one message, but I pray that everything I say glorifies your word and helps us love it better. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I do want to say tonight we're going to be continuing. We got about halfway through the, the most important of our Bible study keys, the key of theme. And so bring your handout back with you. We'll have handouts if you've lost yours so that we can have it for tonight. But be sure and be in your place at 5 o'clock tonight for that. All right, now, what this text is... And the way that I want to approach it is my testimony and my resolve. My testimony and my resolve. This, this text, I think for any believer that's been saved for any length of time, this text really is your testimony and it ought to be our resolve. So let's, let's verse by verse, let's go through this. So, look, look at verse 1. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. So, my testimony. It is amazing that God deals with me at all. It is amazing that God deals with me at all. Have you ever wondered why uh, someone is your friend? Why? You know, every once in a while. When I was a kid, of course, we moved a lot. We were poor. All, I had hand-me-downs, and my brother was always bigger than me. I looked like Dennis the Menace. And I remember when I became a senior in high school, there was a guy named Bob Haba, and he visited here last year. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen him since the day we graduated together. And Bob was the athlete. He was the cool kid. 
everybody liked Bob, and Bob was my friend. And I remember I went to his house one afternoon, and his mother told me that Bob had told her all about me. And as a senior in high school, I couldn't, why would Bob be my friend? I'm a dweeb, I I have bad clothes, I'm not a good athlete, why would Bob be my friend? Well, because he, he had mercy on a dweeb, I think that's what it came down to. But why would God, why would God have anything to do with me, let alone deal well with me? It's amazing that God deals with me at all, but the Bible says he deals well with me. Now, look at what it says in verse 64. Remember, this is the, the last verse from our last time together. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. The fact that any of us or anyone in the world takes another breath is only based on the mercy of God. Amen? God God could and would be justified in wiping all of us out right now because we are sinners. But it's by His mercy, and His mercy fills the earth, and that's a universal understanding. Every person in the world is only alive and getting the benefits of God's creation based on God's universal display of His mercy. But that universal display somehow has to come down to an individual acceptance and acknowledgement that I need mercy. We all understand the whole world needs mercy, but at some point it has to move like we talked about in Sunday school. It has to move from the corporate to the individual. I need mercy myself. I need that mercy. So from the universal goodness of God in nature in verse 64, it's an easy step to a confession of the Lord's goodness to ourselves personally. Now, notice what it says again in verse 65. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant. Thou hast dealt well because he does everything well. Everything God does, he does it well. Remember in the creation, and he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. Why? Because God can only do good. It's fantastic. He had done all things well. The rule has no exception. In, in grace, in giving us prosperity, and in sending us adversity, he's done well. He's done well. In everything, God has dealt well with us. But notice what it says. Again, verse 65, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Now, I want you to notice something. Thou hast dealt well with, how does David describe himself in those next two words? Read it out loud. And then what are the next two words? I mentioned this uh, when I was preaching in Oklahoma. Oh, by the way, a couple of people said they didn't know Oklahoma had power. They actually do. It is, they, they are in the 21st century. Um, And and I've said this to you often, and I I don't know if I can say it enough. We have to be careful when we pray that we, we have to be careful not to treat God as our servant. So one of the reasons that it's important to understand the theme of the Bible, the theme of the Bible is that one day Jesus Christ is coming back to sit on a throne and to receive the glory that's due his name. And what that, when I understand that, that helps me study the Bible because when I approach the text, I don't go to the Bible looking for a way that God will serve me. I go to the Bible looking for a way that I can bring glory to God. It changes everything. 
And notice what he says. He's, he's God's servant. He's not God's commander. And then look at what he calls him. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You see, Lord is more than a nickname for God. He is your Lord. We have this weird teaching in Christianity that God wants to be your friend, that Jesus wants to be your friend, as if he's going to be your buddy. Well, when he says he's your friend, that's in contradiction or contradistinction to you being at enemy or being at war with him, at enmity. Are you with me on this? So it's really important that you see this. God doesn't want to be your friend. He wants to be your Lord. And then he smiles on you with his gracious benevolence. It's, oh, man, it's so important. Okay, so now, notice what it says. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. So, notice what it says. This kindness of the Lord is not accidental. He promises to do so, and he has done it according to his word. Isn't it? It's a precious thing to see the word of God fulfilled in our own blessed experience. How many of you have experienced the blessing of God on your life? We are, man, are we a blessed people? And as we come into this Thanksgiving season, uh, and of course Thanksgiving is not a biblical holiday, but it is a biblical stance. It's a biblical attitude. And but, but here, what has happened in, in our country is Thanksgiving is the thing we have to get through so that we can get the stuff at Christmas time. Isn't it true? Black Friday used to be the Friday. Now it's starting right now. Right? This attitude of Thanksgiving, it needs to take over everything. It's precious to see the Word of God fulfilled in our own blessed experience. And what, it, what that does when we acknowledge that, it endears the Scripture to us and makes us love the Lord of Scripture. Listen to what Spurgeon wrote. The book of Providence tallies with the book of promise. What we read in the page of inspiration, we meet again in the leaves of our life story. Isn't that a good statement? You guys don't like it nearly. I'm going to read it again because I don't think you got it. The book of Providence tallies with the book of promise. What we read in the page of inspiration, we meet with again in the leaves of our life story. Amen. Okay, now. Here's what I'm looking at. You ever wonder what it's like to be a preacher? Here's what I'm looking at. On, folks, wake up. Get excited. Has God been has God been good to you? Let's give God a hand clap. This is the first time I've felt like Joyce Myers. It's awesome. Folks, God has been so thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord. According to thy word, when I go to the scriptures and I see what God promised to do and then what he's done, it makes me love God and it makes me love his word more. Our unbelief is repented of now that we see the mercy of the Lord to us and his faithfulness to his word. 
Boy, there's so much. One more thing from Spurgeon. We cannot say that we have dealt well with our master. Look, look at what the text says. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant. Can you say, God, nah, I've done pretty good by you. Doesn't work that way, does it? No. Uh, we cannot say that we have dealt well with our master. For when we have done all, we are unprofitable servants. But as for our Lord, he has given us light work, large maintenance, loving encouragement, and liberal wages. Do you know what I think of with that? I think of Pat Sajak. Who has a better job in the world than Pat Sajak? For years, and he makes like $5 million a year. Alex Trebek. But at least he has to know something. Give me an L! It's amazing to me the job that that guy has. But when we look at what, what, what do you have to do to go to heaven? Believe. What do you have to do to have life? Breathe. Have some sunlight. Eat the food that God provides you. What do you have to do to have a job? Use the abilities that God gave you. Live in an economy that, that, that goes along with God's word. Notice what he says. We cannot say that we have dealt well with our master. For when we have done all, we are unprofitable servants. But as for our Lord, he has given us light work, large maintenance, loving encouragement, and liberal wages. It is a wonder that he has not long ago discharged us, or at least reduced our allowances, or handled us roughly. Yet we have had no hard dealings. All has been ordered with as much consideration as if we had rendered perfect obedience. Oh man, that is good. Complaints we have none. We lose ourselves in adoring thanksgiving and find ourselves again in careful thanks living. Now listen, this is so important that we get this. Thanksgiving is coming up. And what are you supposed to do at Thanksgiving? Now don't tell me eat turkey, watch football. What, what are you supposed to do on Thanksgiving? Give thanks. Do we have to wait until then? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my wanter gets big and I see some stuff I want that I can't afford. And we're going to look at that idea here in a minute. Do you know what the answer to that is? How about just being thankful for what you have? How about just being thankful? So my testimony, thou hast dealt well. My resolve, it is dealing well on our part to tell the Lord that we feel that he has dealt well with us. For praise of this kind is specially fitting and comely. Has God dealt well with you? Tell him. Right now, you know that God's aware of your mind right now. Right now, tell him, Lord, you've dealt well with me. Thank you, God. Thank you. My testimony. Look at the next verse. Verse 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. My testimony, I need good judgment and knowledge from God. I need good judgment and knowledge from God. Why? A sight of my own errors and a sense of my own ignorance, it really ought to make me teachable. It ought to make me teachable. In playing golf, when I play golf with somebody that's a lot better than me, which is pretty much everyone I play with, when I play with somebody that's a lot better than me, what I want to do is, hey, how'd you do that? How'd you, I'll never forget playing baseball with Barry Godown. You know, some of you have met my friend Barry, and Barry was a McDonald's All-American baseball player. 
And he's, he's my size and maybe 20 pounds lighter than me. And we're standing at the fence, we're playing softball, and he caught the ball at the fence, and he just went like this. That's what it looked like. And the ball went on a rope, and bam, hit Wade's glove. You could hear it all the way. I looked at him, and I said, how did you do that? He said, I don't know. It just happened. This is his voice. This is the way that he talks. He's the worst teacher in the world. It's interesting. When I see somebody that's excellent at something else, I want them to tell me how they do that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you really enjoy cooking, and you see the way that someone, they, they, they create a dish, and you want to know, how did they do that? Amen? We need to go to God's Word and say, God, my judgment is flawed. My knowledge is so limited. Teach me. Teach me. My testimony, I need good judgment and knowledge from God. And then I must have no confidence in the flesh. So my testimony is I need good judgment and knowledge. My resolve, look at what it says, verse 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Here's my resolve. I'll believe your commandments. And remember, remember what are the commandments? They're the things that God commands us to do. Believe them. God tells us these things for our good, and I'm going to get to that in a second. It's in our text. His heart was right, therefore he hoped his head would be made right. If your heart's right, your head can be right. If your heart's wrong, then your head can never be right. It can't be. I need to learn. I need good judgment and knowledge from God. Can we just do this for a second? How many of you, you're in a situation right now, and you don't have to tell us what it is, but we need to be able to pray for each other. How many of you, you're in a situation right now and you really do need for, no, some wisdom from God, some judgment? Would you, hold, hold, your, hold them up high so everybody can see. Sometimes we feel like we're alone in this. We need good judgment and knowledge from God, and it only comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. If I'm going to have good judgment, it can't be from me. My testimony, look at what it says in verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Boy, that is my testimony. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And my kids, especially Jacob, got a spanking every birthday. Why? Because I thought that he would appreciate his birthday more if I just spanked him on that day. It would stop him from wanting so much. No, no, no. Because when kids, when you give them everything and they become the center of attention, they lose their minds. Uh, uh, this is hilarious. Laura's uncle, his name's Carl Jean, and he would always act up in church. So it got to where his mother would give him a spanking before church. <laughs> Helped him love God and his word. And so we heard that story. We laughed. We'd tell our kids on the way to church, hey, do you need a Carl Jean? And they would laugh. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Can we be honest? How many of you would say that's your testimony? Ugh, that the affliction got you back to the straight and narrow. Remember C.S. Lewis, God whispers to us in our pleasure and shouts to us in our pain. God whispers to us in our pleasure and shouts to us in our pain. Listen to what Spurgeon wrote. Often our trials act as a thorn hedge to keep us in the good pasture, but our prosperity is a gap through which we go astray. How about that? Let me read that again. Often our trials act as a thorn hedge to keep us in the good pasture, but our prosperity is a gap through which we go astray. J.R. Graves, the great Baptist preacher from the mid-1800s, 
He wrote a book called The Work of Christ Consummated in Seven Dispensations. And he believed that the Laodicea church age, so Laodicea is, you know, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but knowest not that thou art wretched and poor and miserable, blind and naked. I counsel of thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and eye salve that thou mayest see, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And then Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's outside of the church. And so this dead rights of the people Christianity that we experience now, listen to to when J.R. Graves said that started, 1776, when Baptists finally got to experience the liberty and the freedom that everybody else had. Because then we stopped trying to stand for purity, and now we wanted to be accepted and praised. Life became easy, and so our doctrine became lax. It's so interesting, that hedge that keeps us in. Why is it that a little ease works in us so much disease? How many of you ever noticed that sometimes people retire, and very soon after that they're dead? Now, Dan, that doesn't have to be you. Jerry, where's Jerry? Jerry, that doesn't have to be you. Ed. There's no hope for Ed. But how many of you have seen that? Somebody stops working, they sit down, and they die. Very interesting. Why is it that a little ease works in us so much disease? Can we never rest without rusting, never be filled without waxing fat, never rise as to one world without going down as to another? That uh, idea of being filled without waxing fat. I, I always think of, um, how many of you remember Jack LaLanne? His creepy pants, remember him? He said, if it tastes good, spit it out. Now that's a little extreme, but you'll live a lot longer. No, he still died. Right? So that cake is worth a little bit of that time. Why is it what weak creatures we are to be able to be unable to bear a little pleasure? Let me read that again. What weak creatures we are to be unable to bear a little pleasure. What base hearts are those which turn the abundance of God's goodness into an occasion for sin? It's interesting. If you look at um, the, the political landscape, in the last debate, the last debate is normally about foreign policy. They didn't want to talk about foreign policy because President Trump has been so successful. We've not gotten into any new wars. As a, matter of, as a matter of fact, we're making peace with nations all over the world. And so here's what happens. They don't want to talk about that. Why? Because they want to find some way to talk about failing because, listen, peace, what peace does is it makes people comfortable. Why is it that Winston Churchill, the only time they brought him in it was at, at times of war? And then they always sent him packing, and then the next people that came in would be so liberal, they spent the the nation into oblivion. It's just gone. Because a little ease is always dangerous. So, sweet are the uses of adversity. And this is one of them. It puts a bridle upon transgression and furnishes a spur for holiness. So look at the verse again. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, verse 67, but now I have kept thy word. So my testimony, 
Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Here's my resolve, but now I've kept thy word. Keep his word. How many of you would rather keep his word than be afflicted? Right? Because God will chasten you. God will chasten you if you do not keep his word. All right. So look at the next one. My testimony. Verse 68. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Thou art good and doest good. So here's my testimony. God is so good. Is that your testimony? God is so good. See, when I focus on my problems, I can't focus on the goodness of God. God, you are good. But look at the context. He says in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Even in affliction, God is good and does good. God is essential goodness in himself, and in every attribute of his nature, he is good in the fullest sense of the term. Indeed, he has a monopoly on goodness. Have you ever wondered why there is only one commission on monopolies? Think about that. You aren't listening. That's funny. He's the only one that's good, for there's only one God. And only God is good. Matthew, 6, Matthew 19, 16, and 17 says that. So, here, here's, here's my resolve. My, my testimony is thou art good and doest good. And boy, we could spend the whole time on that. But, but look at my resolve. Teach me thy statutes. Here's my resolve. I'll be teachable. Because I've recognized I needed the affliction to do right. And your good, even the affliction that you brought into my life, was good. It's good. I, I didn't see it before. And we'll see that again. He repeats it. He's good. That's going to make me teachable. But notice the word that's used. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. What are those statutes? Those are the things that God has engraved in stone. Those are the things that need to become engraved on my heart. This is the truth of God. I believe it. And you're good. Everything you do is good. My resolve, I will be teachable. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you teachable? If someone corrects you, how do you, how do you endure the, cre- the correction? You get your back up. But are, are, are you corrected by God's word? What do we do? All right, let's go on. My testimony. My testimony. Look at what it says in verse 69. The proud have forged a lie against me. The proud have forged a lie against me. So here's the question. Am I living a life that is blameless before men so that this can be my testimony? If someone says something against me, do they have to tell a lie? Let me ask that question again. If someone says something against me, does it have to be a lie? Or can they indict me by telling the truth about me? And the sad truth is, I have done enough to where people can bring a railing accusation against me. Man, I don't want to live a life like that. I want to live a life of holiness and purity and kindness and gentleness and respect I want to live a life to where they cannot say anything against me. And if they do say it, it's a lie. And everyone would say, that's a lie. Amen? I'll give you an example. You ladies have probably noticed, because I'm a pastor and because I have to protect my office, I don't spend a lot of time talking to the ladies in the church. Because do you know what I have found out? It's very difficult to have an affair with someone you don't talk to. And all the men said, that's that Mike Pence rule, right? Remember, Mike Pence was mocked for that. 
So even though there are some things that people could say against me, no one could ever say, well, Pastor Alter said something uh, pretty lewd to me. Pastor Alter made a suggestive statement to me. That can't happen if I don't talk to you. Amen? If you need counseling, what do we do? We, we take, send you to one of the older ladies in the church. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. If a lady needs to see me, she'll see my wife and me. What are we doing? We're making sure that no one can bring a railing accusation against us. And yet, and yet, do we live a life of grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness and respect so that all they could ever say about us is, man, that person, if, if I ever thought of, of somebody that was Christ-like, it's that person. Boy, shouldn't that be our prayer? My goodness, that's so, it's so uh, convicting to me. See, it's true of David. First, they derided him. Look at verse 51. The proud have had me in derision. Then they defrauded him. Look at verse 61. The bands of the wicked have robbed me. And now they have defamed him. In verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me. Listen to what Spurgeon wrote. It is painful to the last degree to hear unscrupulous men hammering away at the devil's anvil, forging a new calumny. That's an accusation or criticism. The only help against it is the sweet promise. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. Amen? Wow. So what's my resolve? Look at what it says. In verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. My resolve is, I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. What are the precepts? The precepts, that's speaking God's word. That's the things that God is telling us, has told us to tell other people. And it's interesting, if my life is one of communicating the good things of God's word, it's real hard for somebody to talk, to tell, to talk about your sin. If I leave the house with my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it changes the way I interact in the world. My one goal is to mind my own business and stick to the commandments of the Lord. Spurgeon, if the mud which is thrown at us does not blind our eyes or bruise our integrity, it will do us little harm. If we keep the precepts, the precepts will keep us in the day of slander. So my resolve, I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. All right, my testimony, look at what it says. My testimony, verse 70, their heart is as fat as grease. Their heart is as fat as grease. What's that talking about? They're sensual. Everything about them is about their flesh. And you've seen people like this. They, they just live for food. They live for food. And what happens is that ends up destroying their body. How many of you know that food is good? And honestly, you can eat almost anything. And if you do it in moderation, you're going to be okay. When it becomes your life, when food becomes your life, then your heart becomes fat as grease. And if you get an enlarged heart, do you know what happens? You die. Really important that we understand how true the Bible is. Proud men grow fat through carnal luxuries, and this makes them prouder still. Well, it describes our country, doesn't it? My resolve, but I delight in thy law. 
No one who loves holiness has the slightest cause to envy the prosperity of the world. Let me read that again. No one who loves holiness has the slightest cause to envy the prosperity of the world. There is and always ought to be a vivid contrast between the believer and the sensualist. And that contrast is as much seen in the affections of the heart as in the actions of the life. Their heart is as fat as grease and our heart is delighted with the law of our Lord. Let me read one thing and then I want to talk to you for a second. Our delights are a better test of our character than anything else. Our delights are a better test of our character than anything else. We live in a time when personal holiness is considered prudish and something to be mocked. For example, when, when Vice President Pence said that he never has a meeting with a woman alone, he was derided and mocked and it was considered abusive to women. Let me ask you a question. Would those same people accuse him of something? Why? Because they're evil. They're evil. And this idea of personal holiness, um, you know, the Christian bookstore scene is not what it used to be. But when I pull up on the computer and I look at, at Christian music, and I know our playlist here at the church, it's time to update it, and that's something I've been working on. But when I look at the album covers of Christian artists, some of these ladies, I'm wondering, what in the world are you trying to portray in this picture? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Sensual-looking pictures, sensual poses, that, that kind of thing. Now, you ladies might say the same thing about some of the male pictures. I just don't see them that way. And how many of you are thankful for that? <laughs> He's luscious. But whatever happened to shamefacedness, holiness? I was, when I went over to the conference in New Philadelphia, um, I was in a conversation with a pastor from Kansas City named Sam Miles. And we were talking about Laodicea and, and clothing and those things. And he said it in a way that I had never thought of it. And, and it resonated with me, and I've been waiting for an opportunity to tell it to you. So, ladies, in your clothing, you need to understand the difference between modest and sensual. Modest and sensual. And if you don't know, ask your husband. And some of you men, I've heard it said, uh, I've heard men say, I like other men to look at my wife's body. Well, you're as wicked as can be. You need to get on your face and get right with God because you're a degenerate. Can I say it any clearer than that? You need to get right with God. You're a degenerate. You need to, pro you need to protect the purity of your wife and her reputation, your daughters and their reputation. I'm about to get in the flesh here. We need to protect that. But listen to what Sam said. He tells the ladies in his church to have mercy. Isn't that a good way to look at it? You men who have uh, teenage daughters, teach them to have mercy on these young men because men, God made us to be attracted to the female form. Can, can I just get an amen from you men? 
And if the guy next to you didn't say that, you need to move away from him a little bit further. It's not sin to be attracted to the female form. I'm sure that when Adam saw Eve for the first time, he said, Hamana, Hamana, Hamana. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that attraction. The problem is when ladies, they, they draw attention to something that would be wrong for the man to have. You all with me on this? Sensual versus holy. Sensual versus holy. And here's the problem. We're not a legalistic church. We don't talk about clothes and TV and whatever, you know, your list of things every week. We don't do that. And yet there is still such a thing as morality, sensuality, chastity, holiness, Christ-likeness. Can we be Christ-like? Wouldn't that be a good thing? So let's, let's go on. So important that we understand what's being spoken of here. See, that, that grossness, that, that fatness of heart. I mean, you can be a beautiful young lady and have a sensual heart and put across a sensual attraction that has absolutely nothing to do with biblical holiness. Um, I, I will say this. Uh, sometimes young men will ask me, um, how did you find Miss Laura? What were you looking for? Here's what I was looking for. Pretty. I promise you, that was my goal. And I succeeded, hallelujah. But what I did was I sought for that pretty girl in the right place who came from the right family, who was raised the right way, and who had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Vital. That's vital. But if I'm being honest, it started with pretty. See, there were a whole group of pretty girls. They all ran together. And I waited for one of them to be alone. You know, kind of like the cheetah looking for the... <laughs> and she was sitting in, the, in the, the cafeteria alone. And I bounced. And she didn't get away. So... My resolve is to delight in his law. Listen to this. When law becomes delight, obedience is bliss. When law becomes delight, obedience is bliss. Let me, let me just say this. The text says, I'll delight in thy law. So, so please listen. Listen, I'm almost done. I'm going to get you to Casadoras here soon. Really important. Young people, this is, your, this is the stuff that you guys are going to deal with in your generation way more than we did. For example, homosexuality is sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's an abomination. I don't care what the Pope says. The Pope's a Marxist. He wants to undermine all traditional morality and traditional economic systems. Okay, He's an evil, evil man. I don't care what religious leaders say. God says it's an abomination. It's an abomination. Do you know what we need to do with that statement? Love it. Delight in it. Not be ashamed of it. Now listen, if you have a family member or a friend that is in that lifestyle, in that sin, we need to love them, we need to pray for them. Loving them and praying for them demonstrating the love of Christ to them has absolutely nothing to do 
with being soft on the behavior. The behavior is wicked and will destroy them. I love what God says about that. I love it when God says don't steal. I love that. I love that. I delight in that. I delight in thou shalt not commit adultery. I especially delight in it when my wife obeys that and all the people said. And your wife loves it when you obey that. Why? Because it gives her security and respect and trust. I delight in thy law. See, again, we Americans, we don't want to be told what to do, and we don't like correction, and we need to submit to God's word. That's my resolve. I will delight in thy law. Then, notice what it says. Verse 71, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. My testimony, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. Whatever David may have thought while under the trial, he now knew that he was better for it. Man, when you're in trouble, it's not good, right? But you get done and now you've got a lesson. Now you've got a story to tell. And like we always say when we come to this, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. Our worst is better for us than the sinner's best. Our worst is better for us than the sinner's best. It is bad for sinners to rejoice and good for saints to sorrow. See, Spurgeon understood suffering better than most. Some of you have have dealt with that dark uh, 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 curse of depression. Listen to what Spurgeon said. There are dungeons underneath the castle of despair as dreary as the abodes of the lost, and some of us have been in them. Man, I've never experienced that. Some of you do. You, You understand what affliction and suffering really are. And again, look at what Spurgeon said. There is no royal road to learning the royal statutes. God's commands are best read by eyes wet with tears. Isn't that good? All right, my resolve. Look at what it says, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. What are those statutes? Those things that are engraved in stone, those things that I need to engrave on my heart. I will. That's my resolve. I will. Then, look at what it says in verse 72. My testimony. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Now, notice the, what, he, what he calls it, the law of thy mouth. The law of thy mouth. That's, a, that's kind of a sweet way to look at that. Uh, the, the same lips which spoke us into existence have spoken the law by which we are to govern that existence. One more time. The same lips which spoke us into existence have spoken the law by which we are to govern that existence. So now look at what it says. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. We know whether or not that's true by how we prioritize our life. Okay, can we read that verse out loud together? Ready? Verse 72, ready? The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Let me ask you, do you give? Are you faithful in giving? Do you tithe? If you make $1,000 a week, do you give 100 of that to the Lord? It's very simple. It's a simple question, Right? If, if I got your giving and I see that you gave $2,000 that year, imagine if I came to you and said, man, how are you making it on twenty grand a year? And a hush fell. We don't talk about giving very much. Have you all ever noticed that? We don't talk about it very much, but you cannot say this is your testimony if you don't honor the Lord with your finances. You get a promotion. 
You get a promotion and you still don't give. Why would God bless us without us honoring him with our finances? Listen, folks, you need to give. It's good for you to give. It's good for you to give. Man, Christmas, Laura said uh, just yesterday, she said, maybe, maybe this year we can cut it back a little. And this is our natures, you know. And I said, not a chance. I want to do more because I love spending money. <laughs> I love buying gifts. I love watching the face light up. I love that. And I love giving to the Lord and his work. I love it. We're going to be doing some updates in the fellowship hall. We're adding televisions and we're doing some things to make it easier for trainings up there. That costs money. Now, here's the good news. Are you ready for this? I don't have to come to you and say, will you give for that? Because of your giving, the money's in the bank and we'll just write the check and we'll do it. Amen. When we love the Lord, we, we love giving. That, that's the passage. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Then the last thing, God's dealings are good. Look at verse 65. It says, thou hast dealt well with thy servant. Holy judgment is good in verse 66. Teach me good judgment. Affliction is good. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. And here, the law is not only good, but it's better than the best treasure. You know, our prayer just needs to be, Lord, make us good through your word. Lord, change us. Make us like you. My testimony, man, it's expressed in that passage. My resolve is to, to live out the second half of each of those verses. How many of you would say, honestly, the first half of those verses really is your testimony? Can we make the second half of those verses our resolve? Say, God, I want to be a, I want to I want to be your man. I want to, I want to be a, a representative of you in the world. I want to do right. needs to be the goal of our heart. And if you're not born again, today needs to be the day. Place your faith and trust in Christ alone because his eternal life is better than anything you could give, anything you could ever gain through the world. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach it and teach it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.